1: Hello and welcome to the Centre for European Reform podcast. I'm Rosie Georgie, the CER's media coordinator and host of the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the UK economy and discussing the findings of two economists who have both spent a lot of time analysing the impact that Brexit has had on it. One of them I work with, that's John Springford, who's the CER's deputy director, and the other I don't. That's Thomas Sampson, who's an Associate Professor in Economics at the London School of Economics. Thank you both for joining me. We're going to learn about the impact that the UK's decision to leave the EU has had on UK GDP, investment, goods and services trade and inflation. As a reminder, the key reference points to highlight for this will be the Brexit referendum of June 2016, the transition period, which kept the UK in the Single Market and Customs Union until it ended on the 31st of December 2020, and the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, or TCA, that the UK and EU signed the day before. Let's begin with goods trade, which you've both worked on and is one of the areas of the economy where the impact of Brexit has been the clearest. Thomas, let's begin with you. Could you tell us what you found out?
2: Uh, Absolutely. Um, In my work with colleagues at LSE's Centre for Economic Performance, we attempt to disentangle the impacts of Brexit versus COVID on the UK's goods trade. And we do that by comparing changes in the UK's trade with the EU uh, to trade with non-EU countries. The idea there being that COVID affected trade with all destinations Well, Brexit and specifically the introduction of the TCA at the start of 2021 uh, was was a a shock to trade costs just with EU countries. So when we make that comparison, we look at uh, a couple of different time periods. Uh, Firstly, the period between the referendum and the start of the TCA. And during that kind of interim period, We actually find very little evidence that there was significant reorientation of UK trade uh, away from the EU. So we don't seem to see strong kind of anticipation effects of firms shifting trade away from the EU in anticipation of Brexit coming into force and of there being new trade relationships.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: However, uh, once we look at the uh, 2021, when the TCA has come into force, Uh, there is clear evidence that the the TCA has been a major disruption to to UK trade. And that's most apparent on the import side. We see that immediately upon the uh, TCA coming into effect, there's a sharp drop in imports from the EU, and that drop persists throughout the year. And our our estimate is that the TCA led to around a 25% fall in imports from the EU EU, in 2021. So, that, you know, in, ter- in terms of the size of changes in trade, that's a fairly hefty effect. For exports, though, the picture is more mixed. Again, we do see a fall in the first quarter of the year, immediately following the new arrangements coming into place. But then we actually see a, a, a strong bounce back in exports. And, you know, somewhat to our surprise, we don't see a persistent fall of ex- in exports that persists through the second half of 2021.
1: Oh, that is interesting, especially when you think about the new barriers to trade that companies have had to grapple with since Brexit, you might think that exports might have been more affected. Could you go into that a bit more? Yeah,
2: that's a, that's a really good good question, because, you know, as you say, there have been kind of a lot of reports of firms facing this, this new red tape that the TSCA has introduced and kind of struggling to adapt to it. So you know, when we, when we first got this role, we decided to dig a bit more into the data and decide, see if we could understand what was going on kind of a bit under the, under the hood, as it were. And interestingly, what we find when we do that is that if we look at the, the number of trade relationships between UK exporters and EU importers, so that's kind of the, the number of products that the UK is exporting to different EU countries, we do see a, a fall off in that number of trade relationships uh, under the TCA and you know what's what's kind of i think particularly interesting and important is that decline in the number of relationships is driven particularly by the destruction and the exit of low value trade relationships so those relationships where previously there wasn't there wasn't a lot of value of trade but trade was happening a lot of those seem to have ceased to exist in the past year now that kind of begs the question of what's going on there. Um, And ideally we'd like to kind of be able to observe firm level trade and, and see how firms have responded to this shock. We don't have that data yet, but what we can say is that what we're finding, these findings are consistent with the idea that the impact of the TCA has been to create a new fixed cost of exporting for UK firms. So kind of a a fixed cost that they have to pay in order to deal with the new red tape, the new customs paperwork that they now face. And the implication of this has been that smaller firms are not able to, it's it's not profitable for them to pay that fixed cost. So they've stopped exporting to the EU altogether, while larger firms have simply absorbed the cost and continued to export. And because it's the larger firms that drive overall export dynamics, that's why the you know o- overall export values have 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 kind of bounced back and be, been fairly uh, pe- performed fairly well. But whereas the smaller firms that you know they're less important in terms of overall value, but obviously it's important for those particular businesses, those are the ones that have been hardest hit.
1: Mm, okay. Um, would you expect then smaller firms to um just try and avoid that market while the large firms will keep absorbing that sort of fixed cost?
2: My expectation is that it would be persistent that if this fixed cost is there and the relationship doesn't change that they will continue to stay out of the EU markets but obviously you know we don't have any evidence on that. On that mm-hmm. yet.
1: Okay um, well thank you thanks very much for that uh, for starters Thomas and how about you John if we could talk a bit about um, your research on, on goods trade And also, like Thomas mentioned, how have you got around um, isolating Brexit from the COVID impact?
0: Well, there are two ways of dealing with COVID. You can can compare EU trade to non-EU trade like Thomas, which is a good way. Then you're only dealing with UK data and the pandemic should both affect EU and non-EU trade equally. So you're kind of isolating the impact of Brexit. The other way that you can do it is see the extent to which COVID is affecting the data and make judgments based upon that which has been kind of my method by the end of 2020 we could see that goods trade had reached its pre-pandemic peak in most advanced economies including in the UK almost in in the case of the UK so I felt pretty confident that COVID was affecting advanced economies good trade in a similar way Um, and so my method is different to Thomas's I can go into it in a bit more detail in a bit perhaps but Essentially, it's about finding the best comparison countries to the UK to see how their goods trade had done. And then because they haven't left the single market and customs union, they can provide a kind of counterfactual UK. Um, And if you do that, then you can see that UK exports have lagged behind those economies quite a lot. There's been a big goods trade boom in 2021. Um, uh, uh, as uh, there's lots of pent-up demand for goods um, and some manufacturing plants have been shut down in the pandemic. Um, and according to my method, UK goods exports are down by about 16%. We don't know yet why my method and Thomas's spit out different results, so there's more to do. My my argument for for, for my method is that it's a bit odd that the UK hasn't taken part in this goods trade boom, including in exports. Um, and that the uh, the reason why you might see there being an impact on both UK goods exports to the EU and UK goods exports to non-EU sources as a result of leaving the single market and customs union, which is something that I find, um, is that some plants based in the UK have been serving both markets and they've been finding it a bit difficult to get hold of components, perhaps from the EU, imports have been difficult from the EU, and so that's made it generally more difficult for them to export both to the EU and the rest of the world. But I have no real data to back that up; just some circumstantial evidence. So we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see what's right.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And then if we if we talk about your methodology that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, could you talk us through that? How you found a um, a point. Of comparison for uh, the UK economy that we currently have, the, the real one versus your um, economic model, for one.
0: Yeah, so the way that this works is it's called the the pretentious phrase for it is called the synthetic counterfactual method. um but following um benjamin bourne and others who were the first to really use this in the brexit context i've been calling it the doppelganger method or it should Mm -hmm. be doppelganger method if i'm being properly german about it but (laughs) but um i think we can anglicize it and the way it works is you take Twenty-two. I take 22 advanced economies because we need advanced economies because they're kind of similar to the UK. There's no point having uh, less developed countries which might grow more rapidly. Um, and then you train an algorithm to select a few countries from those 22 advanced economies whose economic characteristics are most similar to those of the UK. And the formal way of saying this is that a group of countries is selected with different weightings so that the difference between the group's data and that of the UK's is minimised up to the point of the Brexit referendum. So we end up with a kind of fake UK, or what I call the doppelganger. The US makes up 31% of that in the the case of GDP, because it's got a very similar economic structure to that of the UK. Germany makes up 15%, New Zealand 14%, Australia 5%. So it's interesting that lots of Anglophone economies who do have similar economic structures are the ones that the algorithm selects. And then that's our Synthetic UK that did not vote for Brexit or it didn't leave the single market and customs union. And we can compare how the UK did against the doppelgangers. And I should say doppelgangers because I pre- create a different one for GDP, for investment, for goods and services trade.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. That definitely um, clears that up. And so if we talk about the models that that you constructed for UK GDP investment and services trade, um, what did the results tell us? And um, and also, how confident can we be ab- about these estimates of, of this alternate reality UK? <laughs> um,
0: I like alternate reality UK. I'm sure uh, Brexiteers are going to use that against me. Um, uh, <laughs> so the estimates that I got, GDP is down about 5%. Um, investment's down about 14%, goods trade's down about 14%, and services trade is up about 8%. Um, but I should say that's not robust, so should, we should treat it as zero for now. We can talk about that if you want. Um, so on GDP, which is down 5% on the, on the doppelganger, the way that this one works is we go from the referendum vote because we saw clear, a clear slowdown in GDP while other European countries were growing quite rapidly, the UK slowed down. Um, after 2016 after the vote that was down to sterling's devaluation it was also down to um, falling investment which i'll come on to Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason why i think brexit is the big part of that it is threefold there are three reasons one is that we see that the uk had fallen behind the doppelganger quite a lot by the point before the pandemic so by the end of 2019 it was about three percent down on the doppelganger um the second reason is that um, if we compare the UK to just the simple average of the 22 advanced economies that I use, rather than the special doppelganger, then we see that it's about the same. It's about 5%, GDP is about 5% down. And most of these countries are getting close to their pre-pandemic level of output, so we can see them as being almost having recovered, I guess. So we can say, okay, well, the the pandemic's effect on overall GDP numbers has come down, which makes sense because most economies have opened up now that vaccination programmes are complete. And then the third thing is that the UK's vaccination programme got a bit of a head start on a lot of other countries and we opened up earlier than a lot of countries. So we would expect our recovery to be further along than a lot of countries Um, So in that sense, I think we can say, we can't say absolutely how much of that is Brexit and how much is COVID. But I think we can say with some confidence that the majority of it is Brexit.
1: Okay. So what about the latest on investment and goods trade?
0: Investments down by about 14%. I feel very confident that the the large majority of that is Brexit because we saw that investment started to flatline uh, at the point of the referendum vote Um, and it got a bit worse through the pandemic and afterwards but not that much worse um, and goods trade by contrast we compare the doppelganger to the UK after we leave the single market and customs union not at the point of the referendum and there's a very clear effect where goods trade falls off um, and as I say services trade we should just not really take that estimate too seriously for now.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay so to sum up um, UK GDP investment and goods trade, total goods trade have been significantly affected by Brexit. Yeah. Um, and so with services trade, you've cautioned that we can't take those figures as gospel, as the UK economy looks to be doing better than perhaps expected in that regard. Um, so on that In that vein, can I ask you a quick question about Northern Ireland, which still has access to elements of the single market and customs union under the Northern Ireland protocol? Um, Have you, in your research, noticed any positives for the economy there due to this?
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. So on Northern Ireland, we don't have a great deal of information. the, the only information that we really have is that Northern Ireland's economy has been second behind London in the regional growth data over the last year. Um, but I wouldn't read too much into that because Wales is close behind Northern Ireland in third and Wales doesn't have the protocol. Um, we have evidence that trade between Northern Ireland and Ireland has been growing, um, but we don't know how much trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain has been shrinking or has been affected because official data on that is really slow um, and the government hasn't made an effort to try and release administrative data, perhaps for obvious reasons. Um, So My hunch would be that the protocol is helping Northern Ireland's economy. Um, It's almost certainly leading to trade diversion from Great Britain to Ireland but we don't necessarily know how big those effects are.
1: Okay, thank you, John. And Thomas, let's bring you back in. Is there anything you want to say on John's latest research, um, particularly when it comes to isolating the impact of
2: Brexit? Yeah, I, mean, I think John's research is extremely valuable um, and useful for understanding how Brexit has affected the UK economy. And when, when you look at his findings, they make a very strong case that Brexit has led to
0: Slowdowns
2: in in GDP and in, in investment ever since the referendum, and then more recently with the introduction of the TCA, that that has hit uh, trade growth. And I think it's worth noting too that um, John's findings are consistent with the broader academic literature on the observed impact of Brexit on the UK economy, where there is a you know a, a very strong consensus that though you know Brexit has had lots of different effects, that On aggregate, it has been a negative shock to the to the UK economy. So I think that's a really important takeaway that we can learn from John's John's work. Um, As John mentioned, there is one kind of important point of tension potentially between his findings and what what the conclusions we reach in my work, which is in what's happening to UK exports to the EU. I mean, John, John and others have correctly noted that the UK exports have not really participated in the rebound uh, from COVID-19 and the UK export growth has been very disappointing over the past 18 months or or so. And then, you know, the the, the question that that raises is what should we attribute that that weakness to? Is it uh, is it a Brexit effect? Is it something to do with the lingering effects of COVID? is it some other structural weakness in the UK economy and in particularly in the export sector? You know, and I think it, it, it's interesting to note this, this, this tension, because in, in many areas, kind of John's work and my work, we're coming to the same conclusions. But here is kind of a, a point where using two slightly different methods, we're not quite reaching the the, the same conclusion. And that's interesting, because it really highlights an area where there are opportunities for, for future research, and where hopefully kind of, more work will be able to shed greater light on you. Know, which exporters exactly are failing to to, to to see strong export growth? Is it, as John has suggested, possibly that you know there are plants that export both to EU and non-EU countries, so there are kind of spillovers from the fact that we are facing higher trade costs with the EU or also affecting our exports to to non-EU. And by you know by looking at those questions, I think we'll both be able to kind of resolve that tension and also better understand how the UK economy is responding to this this shock that the TCA has introduced.
1: And um, as onlookers, we'll have to keep following both your work. Um, Now, if I can stick with you, Thomas, at a conference held by the UK in a changing Europe last month, Adam Posen, who's head of the Peterson Institute and former member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, gave a keynote speech. And he said that 80 percent of the higher inflation that the UK is suffering compared to the rest of Europe could be explained by Brexit. So what are your thoughts on that estimate?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really important question um, for, for me at this point. I think it's very difficult to confidently disentangle exactly what contribution Brexit has played in the recent increase in inflation. Um, but I mean, I think there are two important takeaways where I, you know, you know, I do feel a higher degree of confidence. One is that you know, the TCA has created new barriers to trade, it's made it more costly to import goods from the EU. And it stands to reason that this is likely to feed through into higher import prices and therefore to contribute to an increase in inflation. Um, and some of, my, some of my colleagues at LSE have found evidence that since the TCA has come into effect, prices for food imported from the EU have risen relative to prices for food from other countries, which is consistent with the idea that there is at least some effect of the TCA on inflation through the channel of import prices. At the same time though, I think it's important to remember that Brexit is certainly not the main cause of the current cost of living crisis. Um, The cost of living crisis is is primarily, it's a global phenomenon that is certainly affecting all advanced economies. And it can mainly be linked to a combination of supply chain problems, increasing commodity prices, and then, you know, more recently, the after effects of the invasion of, of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So though I think it's, you know, it's reasonable to think that Brexit may be playing a role on the margin, when thinking about the main reasons why we're currently facing a cost of living crisis, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pinpoint Brexit as one of them.
1: John, do you, do you want to add anything on that?
0: Uh, only to say I agree with Thomas almost entirely, just a couple of points of addition. The main channels that you would expect Brexit to affect uh, inflation is through trade and through perhaps the loss of access to european workers because free movements finished um i really note the excellent work that thomas's colleagues have done and eu food prices rising by six percent is a big deal um but overall if you compare the inflation in import prices and we have got data on this between the uk and the eurozone then they look pretty similar which suggests that you know A global factor is driving the majority of this. And then the other point is that if we look at why we've got fewer workers around in the UK, um, then the number of people who have moved into inactivity, you know, perhaps they've retired early or they're caring for people or they've got long COVID or whatever, that group has grown much more rapidly than the number of people that we've lost because of the end of free movement at least according to our not great data on on migration flows so i think while brexit clearly has had some impact the majority is clearly not not brexit related
1: so what's the impact of this on uk public finances
0: well it's not good for the public finances if you've got a smaller economy um which it looks almost certain that we have as a result of Brexit, then your tax revenues are lower. Um, and also, we've got the same level of demand for public services, or in fact, higher demand for public services because of the pandemic. And so you're having to do more public spending. And so pursuing Brexit has meant that the government has ended up with a larger deficit than it would otherwise have had. Um, and. There are two ways out of that one is to cut public spending um we've already been through a decade where public spending has been cut quite significantly um, politically a lot of people feel that we've reached the limits of that um and so you know in order to be able to cope with rising pressures for higher public spending particularly in health and social care um, the government has had to raise taxes so i think there's a very clear link between Brexit and the tax rises, which we have been seeing since the Chancellor first announced them in March last year.
1: And then, Thomas, if I can go back to you for a final question, do you think that the worst of Brexit's hit to the UK economy is behind us or not?
2: My sense is that by now, a good chunk of the impact has likely already occurred, but it's certainly not over yet. I would expect that it could take up to a decade, maybe even more, for the economy to to fully adjust. So we've got you know a few more years to come of of, of transitioning and getting used to the new trade relationship. Um, and it's you know it's easy to pinpoint areas where clearly there is still more to come. Um, to give just a couple of examples, one is that. The UK has yet to introduce full customs checks on imports from the EU. And indeed, there's a question mark over whether it in, whether it will ever introduce uh, a full customs border with the EU. So that's something we are still waiting for. And then also there's the political question of how the UK intends to use its new uh, regulatory freedoms that it has now that it's outside the, the EU. And if, if as it has claimed it will, the government does choose to diverge from EU regulations in significant ways, then that will introduce further further trade barriers for UK businesses who will face different regulations depending on whether they're selling in the UK or European uh, markets. And that's gonna, you know, that's gonna mean a longer adjustment and it's gonna mean additional additional economic effects and additional costs that the economy will have to adjust to.
1: And John, how about you? What do you think?
0: uh boringly i almost entirely agree with thomas <laughs> um, i think i think probably most of the hit has uh come through now we saw that uh goods trade for example um mm-hmm. that hit came through very rapidly and it's been f- fairly constant ever since um the one question the one indicator that i'm really looking at is investments i think it's been flatlining since 2016 we will have a sense that the UK economy is getting on the road to adjusting to the shock of Brexit when investment starts to pick up again.
1: Okay. Um, Well, thank you both for coming on the CER podcast. That was an um, excellent overview of where we are now and hope to see you next time. Please feel free to leave us a review. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.